So people of God in Christ, I think a, a clever way to begin tonight is to uh, think about the difference between doing something accidentally and, uh, and doing it on purpose. Uh, accidental and on purpose are opposites. Uh, if you do something accidentally, you, you didn't mean to do it. Uh, you did it without thinking to do it. Uh, you did it without purpose. Uh, you're washing dishes after dinner. Uh, you pick up a glass to dry it. It slips out of your hand. Uh, it falls and shatters on the floor. But if you do something on purpose, <clears throat> that means that you meant to do it. Uh, you, you thought about it ahead of time. And, uh, and you said to yourself, I don't like this glass. <laughs> uh, I don't want this glass. No one should ever use this glass again. And then you drop it uh, on purpose on the floor. But when it comes to our worship of, of God, uh, each Lord's Day, whether morning or evening, I think we tend to strike the middle ground. Uh, we don't come to church accidentally. Uh, we don't arrive and say, hey, how did I, how did I get here? Uh, what a coincidence that without thinking I arrived at the building where my church worships each Lord's Day. But sadly, neither do we come as on purpose as we ought to come. Somewhere in between accidental and on purpose, we arrive at church on the Lord's Day, and this should not be. Earlier in this series, we made note of the words of our Lord, cited uh, from Isaiah 29. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Just as it just as important as that we come is how we come and why we come. And this series of sermons is designed to teach us, or at least remind us, of these things, of, of the importance of, of both how and why we come to worship the Lord our God. The last time we gave consideration to the call to worship. The call to worship is the thing that we do to begin and even initiate the worship service. Uh, we have made note of the fact that the phrase call to worship is, uh, is, is really an abbreviation. The full phrase is God's call to worship. Otherwise, if you, if, if you think about it, let's, let's think about it, uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why hear a call to worship just from the pastor when we are already here? Some of us have gotten to know uh, Malachi, the young man from the English family that we've gotten to know, and they've been worshiping with us somewhat regularly. Well, Malachi thinks that we should have a church bell. I'll just warn you that... Uh, that's uh, his idea, uh, so that we can call the, the neighborhood to come uh, uh, and, and to worship. But otherwise, once we are here, 
Uh, what is the point of being called to worship? Uh, we are already here with the intention to worship God. Or are we? That's the question. We are here, and certainly not by accident, but are we here on purpose to worship God? That's what the call to worship does for us. That's what the call to worship is, is meant to do, to remind us of our purpose here and, and to make it clear that we are here answering even the summons of God to appear before Him and to worship Him. And then comes what we call the prayer of invocation. And, and that's our focus this evening. And, and by focus, I mean that's what we want to consider and, and, and understand, whether by learning or by reminder, that by answering God's call to worship first by our prayer of invocation, we are, we are establishing the purpose for which we are here. We are here to call upon God. And this fits with what we hear in God's Word, because Psalm 116, which we did not read, but in verse 12 of Psalm 116, it says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will offer to you the sacrifice of, of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? That's... That's really the question of the Christian life. If God has so blessed me, if I have life instead of death, if I have heaven instead of hell, by, and if I have this by, by even Jesus suffering and dying for me, then, then what should be my response? What must be my response? And here's the answer. I will offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Added to this is Psalm 50, which we have read and which we have dealt with a number of times uh, before. But it's a very relevant psalm for us. Because in it, and by it, God is rebuking His people for thinking to have a mutual relationship to Him. Do we meet the needs of our God so that He is touched by the gesture and therefore moved to reciprocate with His blessing? No, that's, that's paganism. That's how the world might worship. But it's not the real and true relationship that we have with God, our Creator, and our Redeemer in Christ. And so these words are for us as well. This call to worship, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me, call upon me, in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me, says God in Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15. So to worship God in a right way, 
We must know who God is and what our relationship to Him truly is. In other words, we need to know, as a first point, our dependence upon God. We need, firstly, to understand that that to worship God is to call upon Him. But second, what it means. What does that mean, to call upon God? To call upon God means to cry out to Him, to seek His blessing, and to do so in recognition of our utter dependence upon Him. Here is the very essence of true and and saving faith. It's the Apostle James who wrote in James 2, verse 19, he writes, "You uh, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. But I would say that the the shuddering of demons is actually the better response to God, the more fitting response, than simply coming to God casually with just the thought of trading blessings with Him. Or just the the thought of adding a, a bit of spirituality to our lives. Because the shuddering of demons is at least a response to knowing the one true God. If we come before God thinking to trade blessings with Him, or just to add a bit of religion to our lives, then we don't really know God at all. And we are worshiping what is finally an idol, a false god that we have made up. The demons don't do that. But all too often, sinful man does. Here is where we can see that true saving faith is is not just believing that there is a God. If we believe that God exists, then, then what remains to know is who God is. What remains is to confess and act upon what God is in His essential being and character. And so true saving faith is believing that God is my heavenly Father and that He is my heavenly Father because Christ has made Him known to me. He has reconciled me to God and and has even brought me by His saving work to be adopted into His family. And that, I hope we can see, puts Christ right at the center of of all things in the matter of true saving faith. You believe that there is a God, good for you, says James. But even the demons believe that, and they, and they shudder. So true saving faith not only believes that there is a God, and that He is my Creator, He, he, he gave me life and He daily keeps me alive, but even more, He is holy and He is full of wrath for my sin, and yet He is gracious, and He has given Christ to take my place under His wrath and to stand and and to die for me in the path of His just judgment. Can we see then that it's only through Christ 
only by the gospel that we come to know who God is or what God is in his being and character. Jesus, our Lord himself, said, Anyone who knows me knows the Father. Except for Christ in the gospel, we are left to guess at, at best. At worst, we are, we are left just to imagine a, a God that fits our whims and, and overlooks our, our sinful ways. But in comes Christ, God taking on our flesh, and that's grace from the beginning. It's grace. Why would He do that? Why would he take on our own flesh? Why would he become man except that God is gracious? And in comes Christ, God in the person of his divine Son, living as one of us, living under his own law, really. Living perfectly and therefore satisfying, answering, fulfilling the demands of the law of God so that we learn that God is just. He doesn't provide salvation apart from the fulfillment of His justice. In comes Christ, not only living for us, but, but dying for our sin. Even though He was the only man who ever deserved to live and not die, yet He did die. He even died on the cross where He gave up His Spirit and, and laid down His life as payment for our sin. And so we learn again that God is gracious, but that He is merciful and compassionate, kind and loving, and that He is so towards sinners, not, not to those who deserve such treatment, but exactly to those who do not deserve it. In comes Christ, who throughout his ministry was, was in perfect control of, of what was happening to him. When, when they wanted to kill him, and yet it was not the right time, he easily refuted them, or, or he simply went away from them, because it was not his time. And when it was his time to die, his, his enemies, if you recall the story, his enemies at that moment decided to put their plan on hold their plan to kill him, and it was then that he gave himself over to them. Not because they succeeded, but because he succeeded. In this we see that, we see that God is sovereign. Christ was not a victim. To, to hold him as a, or to count him as a victim is, is, really, is really blasphemy. Christ lived in his own time, in full control of what was happening to him. And in the end, he was not killed so much as he laid down his life and gave up his life. And in this we see again that God is sovereign. And as Christ did all this to defeat sin and death and Satan himself, so we see that God is wise and we see that God is powerful we see His wisdom and His power, and we see that He is victorious on behalf of His people. We really do need to learn to think this way, to, that, that Christ and the gospel are the revelation of God to us. 
Through Christ, by the gospel, we come to know God. Jesus himself said in his prayer, recorded in, in, uh, in John 17, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. In one sense, this was the whole ministry of our Lord, to make known to us the Father, to reveal to us what God is. So that really every attribute of God, I only went through a few of them, but every attribute of God can be seen in the person and the work of Christ. But by the collective whole, by way of the full revelation provided by Christ, here's the thing to know. And here's the thing to see about God, that yes, He is holy and He is the just judge of sin. Yes, He is gracious and merciful. He is kind and He is compassionate. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful to do the work of His will and to do His will not despite but even by the, the work of wicked sinners. But in the end, the thing to know, the thing to see, and oh, that we could see it, the thing to believe and to confess is that we depend upon God. That's such an important word, depend. That's what faith is, realizing the truth of our dependence upon God. We do not exist alongside of Him. He does not make up for whatever is lacking in us each day. He is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. He is both our creator and our redeemer, purely by his own work and doing. And and as a clear claim to divinity, a claim by which we must see that Christ himself is God. Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. What are we? And what can we do apart from Christ? Nothing. So why do we have a a prayer of invocation at the beginning of each service? Because we are utterly bound up to God in dependence upon Him. We are here not to get some help, to gain some assistance, certainly not for just some exciting spiritual experience. Maybe we don't make the mistake of of thinking that, that we're here meeting God's needs so that He will meet our needs. But if we are not here ready to confess that we are utterly bound up to God in our dependence upon Him, then we are here worshiping an idol, a God of our imagination. And why would we do that? Well, because to make up and worship a God of our imagination, it it leaves our pride intact. It fits the pagan desires of the heart of flesh that still remains in each one of us. So for a second point, let's, let's be very specific and, and let's point out what 
the word invocation means. Invocation means calling, calling upon God. So even as we hear the call of God to worship Him, so we respond by a calling of our own. God calls us to worship Him in the call to worship, and we respond by calling upon Him. But this shows us that there are different kinds of calling. We know this from everyday language and experience. What, uh, what does the word call or, or calling mean? You have a calling. Uh, even, in, even in the secular world, I think, we, uh, the secular world still uses this meaning. What is your calling? Uh, meaning, what are you good at? What are you meant to do in this life? It seems to matter little that nobody in particular is issuing the call. You still have a calling in life. It's, it's kind of like how people claim to be thankful when they haven't given thanks to anyone or anything. It makes no sense, but everyone just accepts it. And in the same way, everyone has a calling in life. Without the calling, it would seem coming from any particular source. Then, of course, you can just call up your friend. Hey, do you want to have lunch tomorrow? And you can call on a friend. Just stop by and say hello. You you can make a call, deciding, uh, meaning that you decide. It's, It's your call, somebody says. So we can call in all kinds of ways, but... But in which way are we speaking when, by the prayer of invocation, we are calling on our God? And it's even different from God's call to us in the call to worship. We, we sought to make it clear last time that for God to call us to, to worship Him, it's not an invitation. It's not, hey, stop in for a visit. You have, you have my open invitation. Stop in any time. No, the call of God to worship Him is His summons, His royal summons. He is the great King over all the earth. He is our Creator God, and yes, He is our Father in heaven who loves us, but He is the God who summons us each Lord's Day to appear before Him. As Psalm 50 says, "...gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice." The heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. Here is a a problem with some forms. Trying to be charitable. Here's the problem with some forms even of modern evangelical worship. We shouldn't want to be overly critical of the way other churches worship. Can't we just worship the way that... We see we must, uh, according to God's word, and leave others alone to do it their way. Well, yes, as, as much as we can. But any church that gathers and then invites God to come and be present with them is really worshiping in a pagan way. That's paganism. That's not Christianity. To come together at an announced time and location and then sing, and, and then sing, let us sing until the power of the Lord comes down. Or, or to pray or sing, inviting the Holy Spirit to come. What is needed 
in this is a good dose of Psalm 50. God gathers his people by his grace and by his power and according to his word. God summons his people to gather in his presence. And God does so not to be the bossy boss, but to be the God of blessing. The God who is present, not by smells and bells, and not by technology, but by his word and by his promises. And he is the God in whose presence is the fullness of blessing when he is known through Christ and by the gospel. So what does it mean to pray a prayer of invocation? It it means to call upon God. It means to cry out to God. It means to confess your full dependence upon God and to seek his blessing. Again, Psalm 50 says, Do I eat the flesh of bulls and, and drink the blood of goats? Is that what you think? For us, we ought to hear the question, Do we think that God is lonely? and needs us to stop by for a visit? Do we think that God isn't sure of who He is, and and therefore He needs us to remind Him of His greatness? Does God suffer from a low self-esteem? Do we think that God is a, a divine fire hydrant, ever waiting for us to plug into Him, and to use Him whenever we think we need Him? No, He is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. He is the God who must save us if we are to be saved. And the God who has saved us if we are believers in Christ. We we don't need His help, we need Him. And we have Him already, Not, not by worshiping Him do we have Him, But we worship Him because He is our God already, even our Father in heaven through Christ. And so Psalm 50 continues, Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Is that what you think of me? You don't even know me, says God. And if we know God and know Him through Christ by way of the gospel, then this is how we will worship Him. We will offer to Him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We will perform our vows to the Most High, and we will call upon Him in the day of trouble. And that's every day, right? In one, to one degree or another. And here's the promise of God. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Brings up the question, how do we glorify God? By singing glory, glory, hallelujah? According to God himself, we glorify him by simply saying, thank you. At least when we know and understand what we're thanking him for. In in other words, for Christ and the gospel. Oh, oh, but that's not enough. I I want to do more for God, someone might say. I I want to be spirit-filled. I want to do for God. I, I want to praise God. I want to lift Him up. I want to glorify God. Sit down and be quiet, says God. Be quiet except for three words. 
that come forth quietly from your lips. Quit making all your noise, and out of your mind and from your heart, three words, thank you, God. Thank you, God. That's all God wants. And it's not even what He needs. It's just the logical response to the fact that He is our Creator and our Savior God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But okay, there is more to say. But it's not glory, glory, hallelujah, or any such truck. We glorify God further by calling upon Him, by by crying out to Him, by seeking from Him what only He can provide, because to seek from Him what He alone can provide is to acknowledge that He alone can provide it. Whatever it is that we need. If we know God as our Creator, the God who made us and sustains us, the God who has redeemed us in Christ, then we will go to Him, calling upon Him for His blessing each and every day. And here's our assurance in Romans 8.32, that He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Finally, we, we are introduced here to a topic that we'll continue to explore, and that is the dialogue of worship. We'll say more about this as we go along, that, that worship is a, is a dialogue between God and His people. We, we could say conversation, but that to me sounds a little too casual, a little too vernacular as if to just have a casual conversation with God. No, that's not what we're talking about here. But, but first, let's remember that, that worship is a meeting with God, a meeting between God and His people in Christ. It's why we're here. But again, are we here on purpose? And are we here for that purpose? Answering his call, gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. You must remember that God is not a force. He is not an impersonal power at work in the universe. In fact, our own personhood is part of the image of God in us. We are persons because He is personal. In fact, He is tri-personal. He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can hardly miss, if we're paying attention, we can hardly miss that God is a personal God and that when we are meeting with Him, we are meeting with Him personally. And let's remember that He summons us to appear before Him and that He does so, we're convinced, I hope you are, but, but we're convinced that, 
that he summons us to appear before him once every seven days. And that he summons us to appear on the Lord's day, on the day of Christ's resurrection. And that we are to appear before him, that we might hear him speak his word to us. This is what Psalm 50 says. Our God comes and he will not be silent. And as God speaks to us from his word, through his word, by his word, it's why there's a Bible on this pulpit. Because it's, it's on the basis of the word of God that we meet with him. And we're meeting with a personal God. And the first thing we hear is God speaking to us in the call to worship. And then the dialogue continues as we respond, firstly, with a prayer of invocation. God calls us to worship Him. We come calling upon Him to be our God and to bless us as we have come together in His presence. We're going to talk more about this dialogical, sounds kind of technical and cold, but it's, it's supposed to be warm and personal. That We are here meeting with God, a personal God, even our Father in heaven. And He speaks and we respond. 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 And we meet with Him. And we enjoy being before Him and in His presence. And we are blessed to hear His Word read and His Word preached, His Word explained and applied, if I can do it well enough, or somebody else preaching. We're here to, to hear the Word of God and to respond in thanksgiving and in praise, but all of it as a matter of calling upon the name of our God. All of it as a matter of depending upon God and expecting to receive from Him, through our worship of Him, what only He can provide and what He has promised to provide because of Christ. Because He is our Savior. And we belong to Him. Let's stop here and uh, pick it up again next time, the Lord willing. And let's uh, bow in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the weekly opportunity we have to gather before you. Grant that we would come in faith. Grant that we would come in knowledge of who you are as God and of our relationship to you that we are utterly bound up to you in our dependence upon you, that you are good and gracious, and that you've promised to bless us, and that that's why you summon us each Lord's Day to appear before you, that indeed you might speak, and indeed you might bless, and indeed you might provide for us your dependent and needful people 
living our lives, our short lives on this earth before you and under your gracious care for the sake of Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.